Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be reading Ancient Biblical Priestcraft and the Four Crafts of the Devil's Kingdom. We'll be on pages 132 to 141 of Four Crafts. One of the first accounts of priestcraft on this earth was when Cain offered an unacceptable sacrifice to the Lord. It was rejected, although it was perhaps offered in earnest with with good intentions, the Lord nevertheless was displeased with it because it was not offered in faith, as the prophet Joseph Smith explained. Quote, Abel offered to God a sacrifice that was accepted, which was the firstlings of the flock. Cain offered the fruit of the ground and was not accepted because he could not do it in faith. He could have have no faith or could not exercise faith contrary to the plan of heaven. To offer a sacrifice contrary to that, no faith. No faith could be exercised because redemption was not purchased in in that way, nor the power of atonement instituted after that order. Consequently, Cain could have no faith, and whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 58. So that was Joseph Smith. And I I think I understand what he means because, like, there is no atonement um, in the fruit of the ground. It's it's in the, the, you know, a symbol was was a sacrifice of the lamb. I have a little bit of a different outlook on on that and I'll just share it with you so Cain was the oldest he was the one who had the birthright and um, Adam explained to him how Jehovah explained it to Adam that that the sacrifice had to be a certain way and Cain knew what was acceptable. But for some reason, Cain wanted to do it his way. Of course, we know more about it because of Master Mahon and uh, how Satan influenced Cain. But it's it's a principle. So call it the Cain principle here. 
Cain knew what was the instructions. He knew what was acceptable. But he wanted to do it his way instead of the way Jehovah instructed Adam to do it and then Adam instructed Cain and Abel to do it. And see, I think that we as Latter-day Saints are kind of the same way. We have been given the instructions on how we are to do certain things. We're supposed to uh, have united orders, you know, live the law of consecration, which you can't do fully without a united order. We're supposed to come out of Babylon the Great. Um, Joseph Smith said that we're not supposed to lay up another dollar to the building up of the devil's kingdom. You know, we have a bunch of instructions that we have been given in the Doctrine and Covenants and by the Prophet Joseph Smith that all have to do with the fullness of times, the dispensation of the fullness of times, which is meant to lead up to Zion's redemption. And we fool ourselves when we we say, oh, we don't need to worry about doing it that way. Like the endowments. Okay, now, we have been given uh, the endowments a certain way according to Brighamite theology, whatever. But over time, they they have changed. And, and the, the LDS, Brighamite uh, people, they say, oh, we don't need to worry about that. Like, we're going to do it a little bit different now. Or we have the garments, for, for instance. And they were given to us a certain way. And we change them. You know, we were told to gather to one place and we changed things. And, and we were told to build uh, specific temples in Independence and Far West and different places in Nauvoo. And, and we just, we don't. And I understand the Missouri temple problems. But there's really no excuse for Nauvoo. They were able to build up the largest city in the state of Illinois. But they couldn't build up that temple. I mean, they built the Kirtland Temple when they were dealing with persecution and all of that fun stuff. But they couldn't finish the Nauvoo Temple. Like we were told how to do the sacrament even. That the congregation was to kneel with those who were blessing it. But we don't do that either. Like we just do what we want to do 
because we decide that it's not important. Even though God went out of his way to give us specific instructions on how to do how to do things. Heck, did you know that in the New Testament it even talks about deacons not uh being the husband of at least uh of one wife? A deacon's supposed to be married, but now we we say, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll give it to a twelve year old. You know, it's just things like that. These these Diversion, diverting from the way that God has laid out for us to go. And the word in Hebrew for iniquity, it means, the definition means to depart from the path that God has laid out for us. That's iniquity. Iniquity leads to apostasy. And we get these these ideas that, that, you know, oh, United Orders aren't important. We have 16 million members in the church and not one United Order. When is the last time they talked about Zion's redemption? According to the Brighamite church... Polygamy was essential, but now we have people who make that into nothing. Don't worry about that. It's not for us. We won't have to worry about that anymore. And they make these excuses up, but I don't see any, thus saith the Lord Revelation, saying that these things aren't important anymore. The manifesto is not a revelation. It reads like a press release. They talk about, oh, we received a revelation, but according to God's instructions, if they receive revelation, they are supposed to present it, present it, not present the the fact that they got a revelation, but present the, the written revelation to the church so that the church can accept it or reject it. This whole idea that the that the the leaders of the church have done the thinking and that you don't need to worry about thinking about things, that's not how God wants to raise his people. How are we supposed to become kings and priests if we allow other th- uh, other people to constantly do the thinking for us? That's like one of the worst things that um, was ever, ever fell from the lips of one of the leaders of the church. If we've, if we've done the thinking, don't you worry about it. The thinking has been done. Now we're supposed to sort these things out for ourselves and, and, get revelation for ourselves because we're not supposed to trust in the arm of flesh. We're supposed to go to God and get revelation from Him. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change and He is no respecter of persons. Joseph Smith understood this and he taught that 
everything that he experienced spiritually, all the things that happened to him, they can happen to anybody. Oliver Caldry was one of the first apostles of the church, and he was an apostle outside of the Quorum of the Twelve. And he ordained, I think it was him and Joseph Smith, they ordained the first Quorum of Twelve. And he said, your ordination is not full and complete until the Savior has laid his hands upon your head. And that never happened to any of them. Brigham Young lamented that maybe if he reached a certain age that he would see Jesus and he had not seen Jesus. And he died before that age came. Heber J. Grant lamented that the heavens were as brass to him and he had never seen an angel or God and that he had never received a revelation from God. Yet he changed so many things in the church. The way the priesthood was confirmed, the ordinations. From 1921 to 1957 through Heber J. Grant and George Albert Smith, they did not confer priesthood upon anyone according to the church's handbooks. People were simply ordained to offices without conferral of any priesthood. Yet he claimed that he never received any revelation from God. He made... Heber J. Grant made the word of wisdom into a commandment. He's the one that stopped the whole, like, sacrament wine thing. And then Bruce R. McConkie comes on, uh, comes along later on in, in, in time, and he, he put to this, um, I think it's section 29. He puts this section heading about how this is the revelation where we're told that we can use water for sacrament. And then you go in the revelation and it doesn't say anything about using water for sacrament. The whole revelation was given to the saints for a time because there were people who were poisoning the sacrament wine and people were getting sick and people were dying so Joseph Smith asked the Lord and the Lord said do not purchase do not use wine or strong drink Unless you make it new among you for sacrament, for the sacrament one. Now that's interesting because Jesus Christ says don't use it unless you make it new among you. Don't use it unless you don't use it like, and he he even says wine or strong drink. So like, it's perfectly acceptable to use strong drink. What's strong drink? 
that is highly or that's highly distilled alcohol for sacrament. Now what happens if you live up in Canada and you don't have any wine because you don't have any vineyards and we're talking back in the day or like go back to the old world. You you live up in Russia and there's no grapes. How are you supposed to get sacrament wine? Does God expect you to walk to Italy? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He expects you to to take what you have available to you. And if you have wine, then use wine. But if you don't, then it's okay to use your potatoes to make some uh, some liquor. It's okay to use that grain that you can grow in higher elevation and make some whiskey. There's there's certain symbology or symbology that has to do with alcohol and how how alcohol starts off as a grain and how the it's ground up and and I don't I don't know the whole process but we'll just take grapes okay so grapes are crushed and for about two seconds you can have grape juice I mean you know it's pretty good. I've had it right off the grape. I'm not talking about the the process that we have today because that's, that's a relatively new invention where they, they've learned to stop the fermentation process. See, grape, the skins of grape have um, yeast. Naturally, they have yeast on it. Now, yeast is an essential product in making wine. And it's right on the outside of the skin of the grape. And when you crush the grape, it's sweet and it's delicious, right? Like a little baby. Like a little baby. But when that that yeast mixes with the juices, it begins a process of fermentation. And you have a limited amount of time where you can actually drink it before it makes you sick. The yeast will start eating the sugars and it produces alcohol. And for for a certain time, and I've made one before, for a certain time, you cannot drink that, that wine that grape juice it's like in a it's in a stage it's corrupted it will make you sick i don't know if it can kill you but i know it'll make you sick really sick you have to wait until that yeast eats all the sugar in the the grape juice and the product is the alcohol in the grape juice and eventually it becomes pure That's what the atonement of Jesus Christ does for us. It takes something that has been corrupted and it makes it pure. So the symbology of of 
this grape that's crushed and it's sweet like a baby and then it goes through life and it becomes corrupted. It becomes sick. But in the process of time, it's made pure, like Jesus Christ makes us pure. It's the only, he's the only thing that can make us pure. We can't do that on our own. Anyway, continuing on with this reading. So tonight, it's going to be a broadcast only. It's not, we're not doing phone lines tonight. Uh, nobody ever calls anyway, so it doesn't matter to me, for one. Um, and for two, like... I have a job interview tonight. I have a job interview making two and a half times as much as I as I make now. Like I worked a solid twelve hours yesterday. I made two hundred and twelve dollars. That's 17 bucks an hour. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. For my profession and and 3 million miles, 27 years of experience. And I didn't have any wait time. It's just this guy that I'm working for. He, uh... He's a liar. He's a cheapskate. He pays way less than everybody else and he lied to me about how he uh, how he figured out the pay and like I figured out a couple weeks ago it doesn't make any sense the way he said he did it and I called the the woman who is his mother um, who the owner of the company said okay I I I gave her the run times and we're I told her to figure it out at $23 an hour because that's what this other company that we lease to gets paid. Like don't even take into account the the fact that we 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 have no benefits. Like even his uncle, this guy's uncle, he pays really good. Way more than this this guy that I work for now does. And he offers holidays. He pays people holidays and pays them vacation. So, like, no benefits where I'm working right now. Pays dirt cheap. I made $17 an hour. I stopped twice to go to the bathroom yesterday in 12, 12 hours. And I didn't even stop for that long. I went in, I went to the bathroom, I came back out. I was done. You know, both times. Anyway, so I have this interview tonight. And uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm going to be hauling crude oil over a mountain pass. It's almost 9,700 feet. Twice a night. And then I have the interview for that tonight. So anyway, continuing on. Deception and deviation ever so slightly from what God has given can be the difference between good and bad, exaltation and damnation. And as 
Joseph Smith explained, to do something contrary to the order and the plan of the Lord is sin. See, when God gives us specific instructions and we don't follow that, it's iniquity. That's sin. And like there's some things that we can't do individually. United Orders is one of them. And there have been successful, successful United Orders as well. So I had to pause it for a minute so I could cough. I still have bronchitis. Found that out last week that I have bronchitis and I I found out I have scoliosis, which is why I'm in a lot of pain uh, driving truck all the time. Because I have a bend in my spine and it's affecting uh, my nerves and my the numbness in my hands. There's also, I have a really weird bend in my neck as well. I think I got that from an accident a long time ago. Anyway, continuing on. After the Lord established his law and ordinances among Israel, he strongly warned against following after those who suggested serving other gods. If there arise among you a prophet, and this is from the scriptures, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, or other Elohim, that's what it is in Hebrew, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Jehovah your Elohim proveth you. To know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from Jehovah your Elohim which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God or Jehovah your Elohim commanded thee to walk in. So if, if there's a prophet that, and they, 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 they show you signs and wonders, right? And, and they try to get you to follow some other God, you're not supposed to follow him. God is testing you. That we're supposed to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, not some other God. That we are supposed to walk in his instructions and his statutes. And we're not 
who are not supposed to depart from them. Like this Roman Jesus that that nailed the Torah to the cross. The Hebrew Israelite Jesus, or Yeshua, he never did that. He taught from God's law, from the Torah. He said, not one jot nor tittle. Well, I I will not do away with one jot or tittle, one of the smallest parts of the law of God, until all things be fulfilled. He fulfilled the law, which meant in a a Hebrew understanding that he lived it perfectly. If a rabbi says you're fulfilling Torah or you're fulfilling mitzvot, that means you're living it perfectly. He lived it perfectly. He paid the atonement sacrifice, so we don't have to do those anymore because that has been done. But he didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. That's all part of Torah. He didn't do away with the holy days of Jehovah. That's all part of Torah. Like he actually taught people to live God's law perfectly. But somehow when he went on the cross, all of a sudden we don't have to do all the things that he said to do. It all comes from the Torah. There there was no New Testament during the life of Jesus Christ. Those books hadn't even been written the letters of Paul hadn't even been shared. Even if a prophet comes among us and they do great signs and wonders, but they lead us away from what God's instruction is, we're not supposed to follow them. It says here, Jehovah our Elohim might be testing us to see if we'll do something other than the thing that he's asked us to do. And it even goes so far as to say you've got to put that person to death. Continuing on with the scripture, so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, or other Elohim. He's talking about like Molech and Baal and and these type of of gods. But to just, just to depart from from what the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the way we've been instructed to go, just to depart from that. 
Maybe we're serving our own, the God of our own mind or like ourselves as gods because we're going to do what we want to do, like Cain. Cain did what he wanted to do, right? He served another God. He, he really served Satan. Satan was the first one that decided he was going to do things the way he wanted to do it instead of the way our father planned for us to do things. That's the whole rebellion, and Satan lost. And Cain took after the thought and the actions of Satan. Because Cain was going to do what Cain wanted to do. Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are around about you. So he's talking about the Canaanites and the, the Moabites and all of these pagan nations that were occupying the land. Nigh unto thee, or afar off from thee. So he's talking about any any gods, any pagan gods, anything that's not... Israelite Hebrew anything else don't worship them don't bow down and give your time to them from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth thou shalt not consent unto him nor hearken unto him neither shall Thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. But thou shalt surely kill him. Of course, we can't just kill whoever we want. Even back then, you couldn't just kill whoever you wanted. You had to bring them before the council of judges. There was a proper way given in the Torah how things should be done, Right? but we should bring them before the council. And thine thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death. So the person that accuses the individual, man or woman, of doing the thing that's that's leading people to to worshiping and observing other gods, you've got to bring them before the council and that when... The council is convened and they are guilty. The person that brought them there has to be the first one. To put forth his hand, to kill, to stone him or whatever, however that's going to take place. You've got to throw the first rock. If you're going to accuse them, you got to bring them before the council of judges And then once they're pronounced guilty and the death sentence is put upon them, the person who brought them forth to begin with has to be the first one to throw the first stone. And afterwards, the hands of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath thought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, or Yehovah our Elohim, that's what it says in Hebrew, before the King James Version ever existed, it talked about Yehovah our Elohim. Everywhere it says the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, or Mitzorim, 
which means the land of bondage, from the house of bondage. So they called it Mitzurim. It means it means a hard place or a land of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. And that's from Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 1 through 11. So terrible was the Lord's hatred for a deceiver or a false prophet that that their very lives were in jeopardy to Moses, the Lord had said, quote, But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even the prophet, sh- even that prophet shall die. And if thou shalt, and if thou, sh- and if thou sh- Say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 20 through 22. Now, I have a little bit of a problem with that because people, they make predictions. That's not saying, thus saith the Lord God, whatever, like you're not speaking it in the name of the Lord. Or maybe, like, you get these uh, Protestant Pentecostal types, you know, in the name of the Lord, I've been given a, a word of God. In the name of God, this is what shall happen, and it doesn't happen. Okay, I can understand how that's easy to spot out, right? And it's kind of, it's, I want to say it's funny, but it's really not. Because they just, they go on. Like, I've been to Pentecost, I've been to a lot of Pentecostal churches and a lot of charismatic churches because I've been to lots and lots of churches. And um, they'll give the word of the Lord and then they just go on and nobody even thinks about it. Like you'll even have people speaking in tongues and nobody interprets. Like that's part of it. In fact, I broke my friend uh, who was a Pentecostal preacher. He stopped preaching for a while. I think I screwed him up because he believed all his life that you're supposed to speak in tongues. That's how you tell that you have the spirit. And then I took him to the scripture and I said, look at this. Let's read this. Can you guys read what you want? And you just pass right over. And I showed him this many times in the scriptures. And I I was like, look what it actually says. Let's read this out word for word. And I showed him, like, part of the whole speaking in tongues is getting the interpretation in tongues. And I'm like, I have sat in your congregation, in your church many, many, many times and heard you all speaking in tongues and I've never heard anybody ever give an interpretation. No, you guys got one part, but where's the rest of it? (coughs) But sometimes somebody will come up with the word of the Lord of the Lord says that you're going to be healed from this cancer. And I received this from God, and then the person dies. I've seen that too, personally. 
but they just forget about it. But here's another thing that I that I really have a problem with this scripture and the and the interpretation that we have and the translation. What about Isaiah? Isaiah prophesied things that didn't happen anywhere close to his lifetime. I mean, we're talking six, seven hundred years after the fact, or twenty seven hundred years after the fact. I mean, Isaiah was murdered by his people. They thought he was a false prophet. It wasn't until later that they're like, oh, well, maybe Isaiah actually knew what he was talking about because there were certain things like like naming Cyrus in the Babylonian captivity like 140 years later or whatever it was. Now, modern-day scholars will say, oh, there had to have been three different Isaiahs because how could he know? Because they don't believe that God knows the end from the beginning. They don't believe that Isaiah could have prophesied these things. So they've got to come up with three different Isaiahs, but but Isaiah did prophesy Cyrus, who was a type of Messiah who delivered the people from the bondage of Babylon. But during Isaiah's lifetime, all of these prophecies didn't come true. So, like, do you take them out and you kill them because you don't understand the prophecies of Isaiah? Because these things weren't fulfilled when you thought they should be fulfilled? Like, a day to God is a thousand years to us. And if God is saying, these things are about to happen, you know, like, okay, well, tomorrow in his eyes is about to happen. Like, I'm about to go on a trip to Germany. Like, not really, but I'm just using that as an example. I'm leaving tomorrow. If I told, if I was a God... And I was like on my Colobium throne and I'm all like, let him know I'm coming tomorrow. I'm about to come. I come quickly. Okay. I'm coming tomorrow. <laughs> A thousand years later, he comes. Well, he wasn't lying because it is tomorrow for him, but like he wasn't coming quickly on our time scale, you know. When Isaiah was given the prophecies of Messiah or the Davidic servant, 2,700 years after the fact, you know, are we going to put him to death because it didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen? The, the Lord made it clear that any deviation from his laws, from the law of Moses, the Torah, would be considered as priestcraft and sin. According to the Lord, there was only one religion for the house of Israel. How strange that there are over a thousand now. Competition has not only been allowed and invited, but, but they even prospered very nicely. 
An example of Old Testament penalties for priestcraft was related in the story of the false priests of Baal. And Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, and Jehu, or Yahu, shall serve him much. Now therefore, call unto me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, and all his priests, let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Wherefore, shall be uh, whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live, but Yahu did it subtly to the intent that he might destroy the worshippers of Baal. And Yahoo sent through all Israel, and all the worshippers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left that came not. And they came unto the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said unto them that was over the vestry, Bring forth vestments for all of the worshippers of Baal. And he brought them forth vestments. And Yehu went and Yehonadab, the son of Rahab, unto the house of Baal, and said unto the worshippers of Baal, Baal, Search and look that there be here with you none of the servants of of the Elohim, but actually the servants of Jehovah, but the worshippers of Baal only. And when they went in unto offer sacrifices and burnt offerings, Yehu appointed fourscore men without, and said, If any of the men whom I have brought unto your hands escape, he that letteth him go, his life shall be for the life of him. So basically, you're going to go in there and you're going to kill them all dead. Murder, not murder, kill, whatever. This is the judgment. Because we're going to root out these these people who worship other gods. And there's a bunch of them. An infestation. And he tells these 80 servants, I think it's four score, yep, four score men, that's 80 servants. If you let any of them out and they escape, you're going to pay the blood price for them. You're going to die in their place. So don't let them out. Make sure they are all dead. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of the offering the burnt offering that Yehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and slay them. Let not, uh, let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and the guard and the captains cast them out and went to the city of the house of Baal. And they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burned them and they break down the images of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a draught house. 
unto this day. Thus Jehu, or Yahu, destroyed Baal out of Israel. And Jehovah said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And that's 2 Kings chapter 10, 18 through 28 and 30. And we have a special visitor on the program today. What? His name is Arius, and he wants a milk cuppy. <laughs> I, I want more. You want your milk cuppy? You're going to have to tell Olivia. Olivia was sick today, so she stayed home. And so Arius, my three-year-old, stayed home. And I'm in my bedroom, and I'm recording the program for tonight. And Dad, what? Um, she's rude. She's rude because she won't get you your milk cuppy. She's wrong. Okay, I will let her know in a minute. Okay, but I gotta, I gotta record this. Okay. Okay. Such, <laughs> such instructions by the Lord, by Jehovah, seem to be very harsh. But apparently he would rather have them dead than worshiping a false god. Another example of obeying Jehovah by destroying the altars and temples and the false priests is found in the 23rd chapter of 2 Kings. King Josiah, oh here we go with this guy again. I don't like King Josiah because I know things about him that... That's a flashlight area, so I'm trying to record... Okay, I have to read this. You can't play with the flashlight because I need that for work. All right, King Josiah, although only eight years old, when he began his reign of 31 years, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Second Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. So eight... And he reigned for 31 years. That's not the story I was told. Oh, that means he would have been uh, 39 years old when he died. And he died when he was like 21 years old. Anyway, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't get the story exactly right. Huh. There was hardly a religion that didn't suffer some type of destruction. And he slew all of the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars. So it's talking about Second Kings 23.20 and the high places and the altars. I think he's talking about um, Balaam. Balaam? Not Balaam. Well, maybe it was Baal worship. But anyway, he took the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations and put them away that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Second, Second Kings twenty twenty three twenty four, And Josiah was a valiant and devoted king of Israel, for it was written, And like unto him was there no king before him, but turned to Jehovah with all his heart 
and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses neither after him arose there any like unto him second kings 23:25 Elijah tried to teach the people who the true god was but it was an expensive lesson for the prophets of Baal who were all killed. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? See, they wanted to try to serve these pagan gods and the true God. They wanted to have it both ways. I don't know how they thought they were going to have it both ways, but I mean, we do the same thing in our day and age. Like we build up the devil's kingdom and we're supposed to come out of it. Like we're supposed to follow the instructions of our husband. Jesus Christ is supposed to be our husband. He has given us instructions. We're his wife. We're supposed to do things the way he has asked us to do things. That's not my now. I know, but you can't watch that now. And you can go down and talk to Olivia. I can't. You can't? I can't. I'm sorry, Arius. But I have to record this. Anyway, so we have been given instructions from our husband, from Jesus. And, uh... And we're supposed to come out of Babylon the Great. We're supposed to be a peculiar people. A peculiar people. Don't touch the flashlight, Arius. I think he's bored right now because he wants to do all the things that he's... Hey, don't worry about it. (coughs) Anyway. But we don't... don't we don't do what God has asked us to do. Just like Cain didn't do things the way he was instructed to do it. Just like Satan wanted to do it his way instead of God's way. Like, we're following the same path of apostasy. Arius, stop touching that. Don't touch anything. I know what you are doing. I asked you not to. you going to listen to me read or are you going to go downstairs? Okay, I gotta read. If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal and in Hebrew it drives me nuts. This King James Version drives me insane. If Yehovah be Elohim, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. See they, they were like, We're not gonna make a decision. Like, we're stuck between two opinions. Maybe Baal is Elohim. Maybe Yehovah is Elohim. We're just going to we're gonna let, you know, think we're not going to make a decision, right? Then said Elisha unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of Yehovah, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, And let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on the wood 
and put no fire under it. And what's a bullock? Let's see. I think it's a bull. Let's see if I can define this word here. Another term for steer or... Um, let's see here. A bovine that has been castrated. So a cow. Like uh, a bull that's been castrated. Is a bullock. And let them therefore give us two bullocks. Okay. Let's see here. And call ye upon the name of your gods or your Elohim, and I will call upon the name of Jehovah. And the Elohim that answereth by fire, let him be Elohim or God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one of the bullocks for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call upon the name of your, your Elohim, and put no fire under it. And they took the, the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leapt upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth, and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, when midday was past, and they prophesied, until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Yehovah our Elohim, of Abraham, Yitzhak, and, and Yehov, or Israel, Jacob, let it be known this day that thou art Elohim in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Jehovah, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord thy God, or Jehovah thy Elohim, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of Jehovah fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that it was that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said that Jehovah, he is the Elohim. Jehovah, he is the Elohim. And Elijah said unto them, Take the... Okay, so Arius is still here. And I have coughed for a minute. 
and I'm going to try to read the rest of this. So anyway, we're talking about the types and the shadows of Jeremiah concerning that day and the fall or the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of the Jerusalem of our day where the Holy of Holies is proclaimed to be. I'm talking about Salt Lake City, Utah and that whole Mormon Empire and the parallelisms here. And the fact that both the false prophets who spoke lies to the people and they spoke smooth things to the people and the people who believed them were destroyed by the sword and by famine. Clearly then, the fate of these following false prophets and priests can be disastrous as the fate of the deceivers themselves. And like when it talks in Isaiah 28 about um, the priest and the prophet are out of the way and all of their tables are full of vomit and they're drunk on, they're drunk, drunkards of Ephraim, they're drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. See, Joseph Smith said that we're not supposed to build up the devil's kingdom, but we do it with our tithing. How do we do it? We give it to a church that invests in all of these these things in Babylon that we're not supposed to be building up instead of having united orders and teaching people how to obey the laws of God so that Zion can be redeemed. They just do what they want to do and they go their path and they deceive you and they, they lie to you about the keys of authority and how they got the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store, even though Jesus said that could only be done in the temple by the Father. By the way, the Father never came. You know that if you listen to these programs for any length of time. You know, but, but the majority of the people, the remnant or the elect, well, not the remnant, but the elect of God, they follow these false prophets. And they don't even prophesy. They don't even teach, thus saith the Lord. They just teach you smooth things, just like the the false prophets of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah. Throughout history, many self-appointed men have claimed to be sent of God when they were not. What is even more amazing is a large number of people who believe in their false claims. The prophet Jeremiah experienced and recorded such a condition. And Hananiah spake in the presence of all of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. And when the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah saying, And go tell Hananiah saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken thy yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have I put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all of these nations, that they shall serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, and I have given him the beasts of the field also. And then 
said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah. The Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. Jeremiah chapter 28 verses 11 through 17, and we're getting pretty close to the end of this here, so, by the way, like I said before, we're not doing a a live show today, just going to post this, it'll be posted at 6 p.m., of course, you already know that, unless you listen, you, you know, listen to the podcast, but, the prophet Zechariah foretold a time when the Lord will cause the prophet's and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. Zechariah, or maybe that's Zedekiah, Z-E-C-H, 13-2. And they shall be known for what they are. He said, and it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begattest him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of of his vision. And when hath when he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a, a rough garment to deceive. And he shall, shall say, I am no prophet. Let's see here. So that's from uh, Z-E-C-H. I, I don't think that's Zechariah. Anyway, it's chapter 13, verses uh, 3 through 5. But that time has not yet come. There are more false prophets and deceivers claiming to be the men of God now than ever before. Deception is is an all-time high, and that too is a fulfillment of prophecy by the true prophets. So when Jesus Christ talked about there being many false Christs in the land in the last days, he wasn't talking about a bunch of people coming to say they are the Messiah. Christ in Greek means to be anointed. The same word in Hebrew is Mashiach and in Aramaic is Messiah. False Messiahs are those who have received their anointings, their first anointings. Or the second anointings. Well, I say second anointings because in the corporate church, you can actually have a second anointing and not see Jesus Christ or God. They're false anointings. When Jesus said, I will reject the church with their dead if you don't do the things I've asked you to do, well, he did. What he said he was going to do, he rejected the church with their dead. He 
He said in in January of 1841, he gave him the instructions. He said, do these things so that these things can happen. And these are the things that are going to happen if you do what I say. And these are the things that are going to happen if you don't do what I say. And if you don't do what I say, you will be rejected rejected as a church with your dead. And all they who hinder this work will be cursed as the third and fourth generation, which is up to 160 years. And the people didn't do what he told them to do and the things that he said would happen if they if they were disobedient, those things did happen. And the church was rejected with their dead. They were never given the fullness of the priesthood. And over time... Because of iniquity, they have departed from the law of God and they've said to themselves, oh, those things don't matter. We don't have to worry about those things. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to change these things. Oh, Brigham Young never taught that. Oh, the the garments were, you know, they were supposed to be that way, but we've decided we're going to do what we want to do. Oh, the endowment, well, that was like all day long, eight or nine hour process, but we're not going to worry about that anymore. We're going to do it this way instead. No revelation from God. No thus saith the Lord. No instruction from God. They just do what they want to do. Did you know that in the Salt Lake Temple they used to have baths for your washing and your anointing? And they would pour oil on your head for your anointings? When I got my endowments done back in 97... They would put their finger in some water and they would wash you with a with a drip of water on your forehead and wherever else they were going to touch you. That was your washings. And then they had this little thing of oil and they would put their little finger in there and they would use a little tiny bit of oil. I guess that cost the church too much money, right? Because now they don't even do that. Because they just change. No revelation from God. No, thus saith the Lord. They depart from the way that God has told them to go. And now they symbolically do it. Well, it saves the church some money. The greedy church with hundreds of billions of dollars in assets and uh, stocks and fees and or whatever bonds and whatever else they've got there. Enzyme account, <laughs> their Enzyme Peak account. Look that up if you don't know what it is. Or don't if you want to stay blind, I guess. Enzyme Peak. Corporation of the First Presidency. Heber J. Grant decides on a whim. The hand Charles Penrose are going to approach Joseph F. Smith and they were going to say, hey, we shouldn't confer priesthood because then we're giving them more power and they're, they're like, they have as much power as we have and like whatever. And uh, Joseph F. Smith threatened to excommunicate both Heber J. Grant and Charles Penrose if they brought it up again. Because there is a certain way that you're supposed to have priesthood conferred.
and there is a wrong way that does not confer any priesthood. And the way Heber J. Grant and Charles Penrose were telling the people that they wanted to ordain the offices and not confer priesthood. Joseph F. Smith dies and Heber J. Grant becomes the president of the church. A man who at the end of his life said that the heavens were as brass to him and he had never received any revelation from God. Yet he changed so many things in the church. So many things. Like if you want to be disgusted, go find out what he did. He changed a lot. But one of the most devastating things that he did was they went ahead and changed how priesthood was conferred in 1921. Now, Joseph F. Smith told him he'd excommunicate him both. They brought him up again, and he tried to set him straight. And Heber J. Grant and, and uh, Charles W. Penrose, they just... They, you know, this t- bit their tongue and held their their time. Joseph F. Smith dies. Heber J. Grant becomes president of the church. Not through an ordination from God, not through a visitation. None of that ever happened. And Heber J. Grant makes it so that priesthood authority is not conferred And the membership of the church is only ordained to the offices in the priesthood. But no priesthood conferral. Heber J. Grant dies. George Albert Smith does his thing. He dies. David O. McKay, who was there when the changes were made by Heber J. Grant, becomes president of the church and he changes things back. But they don't go back and make sure that people have correct priesthood authority. So you've got literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in the church who have the offices, the titles, but have never had the priesthood conferred upon them. From 1921 to 1957, this happens. And now you have these men who were born after the time (coughs) when Heber J. Grant, or they may have been born before the time, like the person who gave me the Melchizedek priesthood. The guy was born in 1900. He was 21 years old when Heber J. Grant made the changes. He was about uh, 97 years old when he gave me the priesthood. So when he received the priesthood... 
they actually conferred priesthood upon him. And this went for the Aaronic priesthood too. It was both the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood. They did not confer priesthood. So when he's 21 years old, they make this change. And all of the people that he ordains to offices from 1921 to 1957, from the time he's 21 years old until the time he is 57 years old, all of the people that he ordained offices did not have priesthood. Then you have other people who are born in the 19-teens and the 1920s who, when they come of age, never had priesthood conferred upon them. And that is the majority of the problem with the church today. They don't have the priesthood. Very few of them did before 2013, and now none of them have it because it has been severed as was foretold in Daniel chapter 12. In the last days, the man clothed in linen raises his arms to the square and severs the power or priesthood of all the holy people. That's supposed to happen in the last days. It has already been fulfilled. Almost ten years ago. Nine, a little over nine, actually. It's it's done. But regardless, all of these people who are getting their washings and their anointings in the temple, they're not getting it by priesthood authority. They're the false anointed ones. It goes for the membership of the church and it goes for the leaders of the church because even Russell and Nelson who just turned, I think, 97 years old in 2022 was born in 1919 and he was maybe two years old. Maybe I'm getting my mouth off. But two years old when Hebridge Grant stopped conferring priesthood and had the whole church stop conferring priesthood but only ordaining to offices. Which means Russell and Nelson never, ever would have received the priesthood, the confirmation or the conferral of the priesthood. When he gets his endowments, chances are the people who are giving him his anointings have also been conferred in the time of Heber J. Grant's darkness. But maybe he was anointed by the priesthood. Maybe the person who gave him the priesthood was like 
was like the guy that I got the priesthood from. <coughs> as miraculous as that was, this old man gives me priesthood. But then you go to these other individuals who have received their anointings in the temple by temple workers who never had the priesthood given to them and do not have the authority that they proclaim. And so these leaders become the false anointed ones, the ones who have not been anointed by correct priesthood authority for their first anointings and possibly their second. And when Jesus Christ talks about false Christs. He's not talking about people like Jesus who are, who are saying, I'm Jesus, you know. He's talking about these false anointed ones. And now you look around and you say, well, maybe I have seen some people who proclaim to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. I, I've, I've actually run across, across a couple of these people. I even, like, lived with a guy who proclaimed to be the reincarnation of God the Father. Like, oh my gosh, some kind of crazy going on here. You know, it's just, God's led me in some paths to teach me things. Paths that maybe... 99.999% of people will never go, go through because you're not going the path that I'm going on. I'm being prepared by God in a certain way and it is what it is, right? But when you look at, at somebody in church and you know that they've had their washings and their anointings. Or you go look in the mirror and you know that you've had your washings and anointings and that there's been this break in priesthood authority which was all because of apostasy in the church. That you are the false anointed ones. And that your leaders are the false anointed ones that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. But it is what it is. So I'll try to get a program out for Wednesday. No promises. I don't know what this week is going to hold. But thank you for listening. And if you do want to come on the show and you do want me to do a live, let me know. Contact me at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. Contact me in my messenger and I will... Uh, keep an eye out there, and if you want to come on, I will do a live show for you. And if not, then it'll probably just be a podcast.
So I hope that you have a thoughtful time as you think about these things. And uh, God be with you till we meet again. Goodbye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.